0: So one of the things that I did this week was I read uh, a story about a man back in 2011 who uh, was a a Canadian teacher. And so uh, and this is not I'm not going to tell this story as a way for you to do what he did, but merely as an illustration. Does everybody understand this is everybody understand this man bought a lottery ticket in the summer of 2001 and he, he bought this ticket on July 8 at a Shell gas station in Toronto and what did he do? He bought the ticket and he put it on his refrigerator and he took off for summer vacation, just like all teachers do. Just take off, vacate for a while. He went on summer vacation with his girlfriend. Again, there's number two. Won the lottery ticket and then going on summer vacation with your girlfriend for the whole summer. And they went backpacking in Europe for that summer, counting his pennies. Every penny had to count. Every teacher goes, I get it. Every penny counts. Oblivious to the fact that he had millions of dollars waiting for him back home. It wasn't until he got back uh, teaching at school that he decided to check his stack of lottery tickets that he purchased at a grocery store. At first he had thought he had won $21,000 which made him quite happy, right? 21000 Man, I could take the rest of that summer off. Maybe the next semester I could take off. But then he got on the phone And talked to the spokesperson there for the Canadian Lotto, who said, no, it wasn't $21,000. It was $21 million. Needless to say, he dropped the phone. (laughs) He said, quote, I was frozen. I couldn't believe it. And he played hooky on that Tuesday and went to go claim his prize. I really like that image. I love, love that image of something that is worth $21.4 million hanging on the fridge. Just hanging there. It sits there for months, just like a piece of paper. But eventually, it is recognized as something that has real value. Real value. And, but really not enough to change one's life. But it's only later when the the full value of that ticket is realized where everything changes. Everything. Today we're going to come to what I think is one of the more important sections of the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul has been writing about the value, the importance of the gospel, and how that gospel, that good news of Jesus Christ, changes absolutely everything. And I want you to think of it as a similar picture. For many of us, we've kind of picked up The gospel at some point in our lives, and we kind of stuck it onto the uh, refrigerator of our lives. But some of us have yet to take it off and realize the immense value of the gospel. It's been there. We even kind of by faith believe that this has potential. But yet we've yet to discover the true power and value of this gospel. In fact, we find ourselves counting the pennies of our life. The truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ has made a way for us by by being accepted by God through his sacrificial death, is just kind of hanging there on the refrigerator of our life. But we haven't seen its value. It's yet to become real for us. Oh, for a church that believes the reality and the value and the power of the gospel. Could you imagine what could really take place here as a body if we really believe the power and the value of the gospel? I hope that we are going to see from this day on that this gospel that we have placed our faith in is real. There was a point for the teacher where he thought that his ticket was only $21,000. And that may be the case for some of us when it comes to the gospel. It's a 20, It's good. I'd be happy with $21,000. But when you win $21,000, you can have some fun, but it doesn't go about changing your life for the long haul. You can buy a car. You can probably buy that, that really big HD TV. You might go on a really nice vacation, but you don't go and quit your job for $21,000. Some of us have the gospel, and it's been a nice addition to our lives, but it hasn't fundamentally changed our lives. Today's passage is about getting to the next level, where the gospel isn't something that's just hanging on the the metaphor refrigerator of our lives or something that we think is valuable but not life-changing. This passage is getting to that next level so that we realize that the gospel changes absolutely everything in our life, every nook, every cranny. This is the hard level to reach and we're going to see how it's not easy to get there. So uh, my goal today is for you, by the end, to see how important this gospel really is. So would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to read verses 11 through 21. Follow along. And friends, remember... The word of God has the power to change you. Just a simple reading of the word. So listen carefully for God speaking to you. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him face to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men... For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one, how many? No, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And I love this verse. For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Amen. This is the word, of the Lord. You may be seated. So the message uh, for this passage is this. Don't just believe the gospel. Cash it in. Cash it in so that you can live in line with the gospel. Don't just believe it. Cash it in so that you can live in line with the gospel. And in this passage, we're going to see two things, at least two things. First, we're going to see how easy it is to believe the gospel and not to live in line with it. And then we're going to see that we must convince ourselves of some key facts so that we don't just believe the gospel, but that we live in line with it. So first, we see in this passage in front of us is it's easy to believe the gospel, but live like we don't. Remember when the teacher (coughs) thought he had $21,000, a $21,000 ticket and said he had a $21.4 million ticket. That's the stage I'm talking about right here. It's easy to to know the gospel, to kind of have it kind of stuck up here in our head. In fact, to be a believer in Jesus Christ and even a, a leader in the church and to not live fully in line with what the gospel is, isn't the easy thing to kind of get caught up in just the basics. But Paul shows us in these verses, in verses 11 through 14, he says, Listen, I, I came to Cephas, who is also known as Peter. Peter. I came to Cephas, who was kind of the leader in the Jerusalem church. And he said, Listen, I opposed one of the leaders in the church face to face. Why? Because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when these people from the circumcision party came and observed him eating with the Gentiles, all of a sudden what happened? Peter pulled back, kind of put on his religious hat, gave up his freedom that he had in Christ. And even in doing that, he led Barnabas astray. And and Paul says here, when I saw that their conduct was not in line with the truth of the gospel, I confronted him. Your, Your conduct was not in line with the truth of the gospel. So here's the situation. We've already read of one meeting that took place between Peter and Paul. Paul visited Jerusalem, which took place in Peter's home turf, and there they agreed that they were on the same page when it came to the gospel. We are accepted by God on the basis of what Jesus has done. Jesus' finished work and nothing else. That's that's how we're accepted in Christ Jesus by Jesus' finished work. You don't have to add anything else to the finished work of Christ. They both agreed upon this. They agreed that this applies to everybody, Jew or Gentile. You are accepted based on the work of Christ. And you don't have to add anything else. But now we're reading about a second meeting that took place. And this time it was on Paul's home turf. Peter came up to Antioch which was a, a, there was a healthy population of both Jews and Gentiles in Antioch. And if there's ever a city to, to deal with how the gospel applies to both Jews and Gentiles, it was there. It was a perfect place to display, how do we work this out? And it was there, here in Antioch, that Peter faces a problem. He's previously eaten with Gentiles. And there, there's a huge deal if if you are, th- that's a huge deal if you're Jewish. To eat with a Gentile, with uncircumcised, unclean people. If you are Jewish, truly a Jewish Old Testament person, to be seen eating with a Gentile, you are now unclean. The dietary rules were inspired Incredibly strict. And Peter flaunts them knowing that his dietary laws of the Old Testament no longer apply. I have freedom in Christ. These are brothers and sisters. But now Peter gets some pushback. This often happens in our religious circles. Some people come in and they they pressure Peter to eat separately and to keep those old dietary rules. And what does Peter do? He does. He gives in to that pressure. to says, oh yeah, okay, I'm not going to eat with them anymore. And re- remember that Peter is a key leader in the church. And all of a sudden, the Peter, the, the, the barrier that Jesus tore down Between Jews and Gentiles is now being built back up. By who? A leader in the church. Peter absolutely believed the gospel. But in his behavior, he was acting like he didn't. So look what Paul does he confronts Peter publicly. This is why this was such an important issue that Paul doesn't say, okay, hey, dude, come on, let's, let's go in the back room and talk this out. No, Paul says, we've got to talk about this. This is, this is, he gets to the heart of the issue in verse 14 and says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he confronted them. This was the crux of the issue. You had the truth of the gospel that we are only accepted by God on the basis of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. That is is the truth of the gospel. And then you had the challenge of now walking a straight line of the gospel. That's, That's what police officers do all the time, right, Matt, when it comes to sobriety tests? When it comes to a sobriety test, it's, it's this matter of saying, the officer is saying, listen, I suspect that you have been drinking too much. I don't just put you back in the car and just say, bon voyage, good luck. No, I, I, I give you a test, a sobriety test. Walk a straight line. I want you to walk a straight line. And so what is Paul doing here? He is giving a gospel sobriety test. He's asking us to look at how we live to see if we are walking a straight line with the truth of the gospel. I want to see in your life if what you believe is now being applied to your life. Can you walk in line with the truth of the gospel? Can you apply this beautiful and powerful and liberating truth that Jesus Christ has set you free? Can you live this way now? And in Peter's case, he failed it. And it caused tremendous damage. Think about this Peter is a leader in the church. If anyone should get the gospel, it should be him. And yet he doesn't fully comprehend it. This shows us how hard it is to fully bring ourselves, all of us bring ourselves in line with the gospel from the leaders top throughout the body of Christ. It's something that we've got to constantly find ourselves realigning ourselves to the truth and the power of the gospel. The best of us get it, and at the same time, the best of us don't get it. This passage shows how hard it is for us to really bring our lives, especially the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we act, in line with the profound truth of the gospel. Tim Keller said this in his uh, commentary on Galatians. Christian living is a continual realignment process. Continual realignment process of bringing everything in line with the truth of the gospel. Your entire life, bringing everything in your life in line with the gospel. It is a continual activity from the oldest to the youngest here of bringing our lives into conformity. That's the work of the gospel. That's the first thing that we see in this passage. It's easy to believe the gospel, to receive the gospel, but it is difficult to live out the implications of the gospel. Even the most mature believers amongst us can, to loo- can lose his or her grasp on the gospel and begin to walk out of line. We can do this with ourselves. We are continually tempted to become our own Lord and Savior, right? Continually tempted to say, man, I've got it. And I think I can apply it instead of trusting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We can believe that we have to earn God's approval, That we've got to follow all these laws, often man made laws. And we can do this like Peter did with other people. And what did it do? It created divisions based on non gospel issues, it created divisions in the church. It began to force other people to conform to standards that have absolutely nothing to do with the gospel. And this is perhaps one of the greatest challenges that we face. Of believing the gospel in our heads, but not really working out all of the implication of the gospel in our lives. You don't just receive the gospel and be done with it. The gospel is this beautiful tool that God has given us to continue to work in us. And in working in us, we become more and more like Jesus. We become more conformed to Christ. We begin to live more faithfully. It's easy to believe the gospel, but to live like we don't. So what does Paul do here? What does Paul do in the rest of the chapter? Well, beginning in verse 15, he tells us one thing. And here's the second point. He says, convince yourselves of some key facts. Like, really convince yourselves of some key facts so that you don't just believe it, but that you live in line with it. He he tells us how to, don't just believe the gospel but actually walk straight in accordance to the truth of of the gospel. He's telling us how to take that ticket off of the fridge, if you will, and actually cash it in so that we have the full value of it. This is really the theological heart of the book of Galatians. There's so much here that we could really spend months talking about it, but right now I'm going to just kind of focus on the big picture make sure that we understand the broad outlines of what Paul is saying how do we move from just believing the gospel to living in line with it how do we do that there's got to be some quick fix tool right no there's not a quick fix tool it's a lifelong process The first thing that he does say is this first, get, get it in your head, get it in your head that nobody, nobody is accepted by God based on his or her performance. Get it in your head. That's, that's, that's my call to you. Get it in your head that you are not accepted by God based on your performance. This this really gets to the heart of the issue. The problem we have in living in line with the gospel is this, that we really have a hard time believing that we are completely accepted by God on the basis of what Jesus has done rather than what we've done. We really have a hard time, man. I've got to add a little bit more to make myself a little bit more pleasing to God. Yes, I believe that what Jesus has done is really important, but if I just add a little bit more, God's going to say, oh, yes, you're good. We live like we have to earn God's approval. Anybody else feel that? You've got to earn God's approval. Rather than just believing in the depths of our being. That Jesus has already done this for us. He has earned our approval before God. And so Paul says in verses 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth. And not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. But through what? Faith Faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not works of the law. Do you hear Paul just kind of nailing down? I want you to get it in your thick skulls that you do not have to add performance to be accepted by God. The fundamental problem that we all have is that everyone wants to be justified by God, before God. And to be justified means to be declared innocent. Declared absolutely innocent, blameless, scotch free before God on our judgment day. Every single person here wants to stand before God on that day and hear, not guilty. Not guilty. And here's how it works. Most of us understand at some level that we are are justified before God based on what Jesus Christ has done at the cross. That's how we are justified. That's how we we are declared innocent. Because Jesus lived the absolute perfect life and paid the penalty on the cross for us but we still live as if we've got to earn God's approval. That's the very truth that Peter was compromising when he refused to eat with the Gentiles. He was living as if those old rules still mattered, even though he believed that we are saved by what Christ has done. He was slipping back into performance religion. and thinking that it's up to us. So the first thing that we have got to do, my friends, is we have got to beat it into our thick skulls that nobody is saved by what we do. The only hope that we have, no matter who we are, is what Jesus has done. Nobody will stand before God one day and be vindicated based on our righteousness. Not Peter, not the Apostle Paul, not Billy Graham, not Paul Vroom. We have got to get this into our heads. Nobody is accepted by God based on his or her performance. And that's the first step that we've got to to take in order to truly live in line with the gospel. Stop trying to earn God's approval and favor through your effort. That's the first thing. The second thing, we need to realize that when we try to earn God's favor, God's approval through our performance, we are sinning. Here's where it starts getting serious. It's not just wrong-headed to think that we can earn uh, God's righteousness. It's actually sinning. When we think, we, when, we, when we try to live as if we have to earn God's approval and when we make others think that they have to do certain things, you've got to live this way, talk this way, behave this way in order to earn God's approval, we're not just making a mistake. We're sinning. And for some of us, that's kind of shaking our paradigms, Right? because I'll get to it later. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Verses 17 to 19. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so I might live to God. So let me see if I can make sense in this. Paul is saying that all of us want to be justified, to be declared innocent. And we have now come to realize that in order to be justified with God, we have realized that each and every one of us is a sinner. Then there's no advantage to being a Jew or to be a Gentile. Everybody is a sinner apart from Christ's work on the cross. So what happens when we realize this? What happens when good religious people start hanging out with people who are sinners? Does does that make Jesus complicit with sin? When we hang out with sinners? I hope not when religious people start realizing that they're no better than an unwashed sinner, doesn't that somehow contaminate us? Paul says, no, not at all. He actually says that when we try to keep the barrier up between us and, and everybody else, what are we doing? We are ultimately sinning. When we think that we are saved by pure grace, but we're saved by grace plus our efforts, we are sinning in two ways. We're sinning by bringing back a set of standards that no longer exist. If Jesus has done away with the the law, all those Old Testament dietary rules and stuff like that, It's a sin to bring those back in. We're rebuilding what Christ tore down. We're trying to stay married, as it were, to something that has died. This, my friends, is stupidity. It's dumb. Christ tore down the barrier. Second, we're sitting because the standards we're trying to bring back will ultimately condemn us. The problem is if we try to justify ourselves by our performance, we'll end up being condemned by the very standards that we're trying to bring back. It's kind of like a an Illinois politician who's, who's working hard at passing very strict new laws and then end up getting busted by the very laws that he's created just a few years later. I created these laws. Now I'm busted by these laws. And ultimately it does what? It gr- brings you back into Slavery. Paul says that the very standards that we are trying to bring back are the very standards that are going to keep on condemning us. And there's no condemnation in Christ. So when we lose the gospel and begin to try to earn God's approval through our own efforts, we're not just wrong. We're actually sinning. We try to do this all the time. time, And Paul says, stop it. Cut it out. Don't make the sinful error of trusting in your own righteousness, in your own laws, in your own standards, rather than trusting what Christ has done for you. Don't make that effort. And that's what Paul has been saying so far. How do we not just believe the gospel? How do we live in line of this beautiful, Powerful, liberating gospel. How do we live our lives in conformity to this? Realize that nobody, nobody is saved by his or her own performance. And realize that even to try is sinful. So Paul says, Let me give you one more thing. And he, he says, Listen, order is important. J. Gresham Machen, uh, kind of one of the founders of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, pointed out that the real issue in this passage is the order in which things happen. It's the logical order, not so much the timing as logic. So here's how it goes. Paul says that things go in this order. And maybe you want to write this down. This is how things go. You put your faith in Christ. One, you're accepted by God. Then you do good works. Put your faith in Christ, accepted by God because of the work of Christ. And then what do you do? You do good works. But the false teachers are coming in and they're putting the order in this way. And listen to it carefully. And listen to how we probably do this often. Put your faith in Christ. You do good works. Then you're accepted by God. Do we ever do that to our kids? In our relationships? Our friendships? Think about it. Put your faith in Christ. Do good works, then you'll be accepted by me. If you live in line with my gospel, kid, you live in line with my laws, you will be accepted by me. Until then? Mm-mm. Do we put our faith in Christ and find acceptance and then do good works? Or do we believe and do good works and then get accepted or hope to be accepted by God? Paul says that it's the first, we simply put our faith in Christ or oh, our, our, our complete, our total surrender, our complete and total trust in him, and then we are justified by God and then we begin to live our lives differently. And that's what you see in verses 20 through 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by what? By? Look at it. 20 to 21. I I need some participation here. Yeah, so I'm going to read it again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by Faith. faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So here's what he's saying. We don't believe in Christ and then try our best to live pleasing lives and then we're accepted. No, that'd be foolish then Christ would have died for no reason at all. No, what we do is we put our faith in Christ. We come to the cross. We see what he has done. And at that point, we are not only justified and accepted, but we become so wrapped up in what Jesus has done that we die with him. We die with him. And then Christ begins to live in me. And when we obey, it's not because we're trying to earn God's approval. It's because Christ is living in me. I'm becoming more and more and more conformed to Christ. I'm becoming more like the one who is in me. Can't take credit for anything that we're doing. It's all because we are living by faith. And that makes all the difference in the world. John Piper put it, puts it this way. You don't attain the benefits of the gospel by doing a little moral clean-up job on your life. That's enough almost right there. You don't get the benefits... Attain the benefits of the gospel by just doing a little cleanup before Sundays, Sunday morning. He goes on to say, You attain forgiveness and joy and peace and power through daily reliance upon Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself up for you. And then he says, But that faith, When it is genuine, creates a, I love this picture, a rhythm of life that is in step with the truth of the gospel. When, when we receive forgiveness and joy and peace and power and it is within us and we see the beauty of the gospel, man, I am so unworthy But Christ has made me worthy. What happens? It creates a rhythm of life that is in step with the truth of the gospel. It changes the way that we look at relationships. It changes who we go to. It changes our generosity. It changes everything. There's not a segment in our life that is untouched. Paul is saying that one of the greatest problems is to believe that is that we believe the gospel, but we live as if it wasn't true. We believe that we are saved by faith in Christ. We believe as if we need Jesus plus our own efforts to be saved. And Paul is telling us, take that ticket off the fridge. Take it off the fridge. Cash it in. See what its true value is. Not to just believe that we are saved through faith, but to live that way too. Oh, for a church that would believe the beauty and the power of the gospel. Man, every morning you should get up and go, oh my gosh, this is absolutely marvelous. I don't just go and work concrete. I go to do this, look at what Christ has done in me and I'm gonna live out the implications of this gospel. I'm not just a teacher, I'm not just a this, I'm not just a that, I have Christ in me. He has saved me apart from anything that I do but I get to figure out today, how do I live in line with this gospel? How do I live in step with this beauty and power? How do I share this good news and not add rules and regulations? Hey, you want to come to Jesus? Cut! Stop your smoking. Cut out the porn. No, come to faith in Christ. And you know what Christ is going to do? When Christ enters a person who has received Him by faith, He changes them. Sometimes it takes the course of a lifetime. But your position in Christ is immediate. You are now clothed with the righteousness of Christ and there's nothing you can add to you because Christ has given you all the $21.4 million of value. Infinite. So my friends, you have a gospel Infinite value. Don't just believe it. Live in line with it. Celebrate it in the right order. That you place, I place my faith in Christ. I'm accepted by God, and therefore I get the pleasure. I get the pleasure of living out a life of obedience, of holiness, of power. Friends, that's the good news. That's the good news that can completely change your life. Amen? Let's pray.